All right, so uh, today we're looking at the last story about the last judge in the book of Judges. Now, that does not mean we are at the end of this book. There are, there are five chapters after this that uh, it gets so dark, it gets so bad, there aren't even judges anymore. There's no one to come save them. And so uh, we're looking at last judge, Samson, who is, as you all know, he's kind of the, most, the quintessential one. He's the one that makes it to the kids' books. He's the one who, uh, who finishes and kind of embodies everything that Israel is. We talked about that last week. That the same struggles that Israel had, Samson brings them to the forefront. And I was even talking about this with the, the youth group earlier. Like, it's shocking to see this one who's so great be so awful and, and commit such sins. And we wonder and we may be troubled by how does God respond to great sinners who are called and who are chosen? How does he interact with believers who constantly struggle with sin and with sin and with sin, who are beseeched by the same thing over and over? What does he do? Where do they stand? How does this story help us not just understand Samson and then Israel, but then we keep going and understand the church and our own relationships with God as we struggle with sin and idolatry and foolishness related to it? Now, that is our, that is our goal uh, this morning, and I hope it is encouraging to us that remarkably we see this one who looks so terrible to end Ironically, so, so well. So with that in mind, we're going to be looking at the, that foolishness. We're going to see his, the loss of blessing that comes from idolatry. But then we're going to see God's great faithfulness in spite of it. So let's pray and uh, we'll look at this passage. Father, we come before you as a broken and needy people and praise you that you are all-powerful, that you are sovereign, that you are ever working all things to the glory of Jesus Christ and the good of those who love you. And Father, we ask that you would help us to, to both be protected from the foolishness of Samson, but also to find great hope in the work that you do in spite of our great sin. Father, would you help us to see Jesus? Would you help us to reflect who Jesus is uh, in spite of ourselves, that he may get all the glory, that he may be lifted up, that his kingdom may be proclaimed, that he may be worshipped, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So uh, we're going to be largely looking at the foolishness of Samson, but you can't look at the foolishness without seeing the great blessing that is upon him. All right, what does he have to lose and what has he been really given and so we're going to start with, it seems like kind of a tangential story. We'll get to Samson and Delilah and all that. But uh, we're starting with 16 verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. The Gazaites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the, city, at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city 
and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. All right. So we are setting, setting the, the stage here for the story to come. And basically reminding us of, okay, all of the blessing that Samson has given and yet the trajectory that he's on. Now first, the, the trajectory. All right, where is he? He's in Gaza. All right. He should not be in Gaza. What is Gaza? Gaza is one of the, the premier cities of the Philistines. All right, this is like saying that in the midst of the Cold War that you're going to go vacation in Moscow. Or in the midst of World War II, like, hey, let's go to Berlin and hang out there. Like, that's not what you do. That's not where you belong. And it's suspicious if you go there. And yet, here he is, completely immersing himself in Philistine culture and the things he's doing in Philistine culture, he should not be doing either. And we've seen this, this pattern of, of lust and idolatry and sin that has plagued Samson. First he wanted to marry a Philistine. Now he is sleeping with Philistine women. But in spite of all of that, he has this great power and this great blessing. It seems like God is overlooking all of this. And they set up an ambush to, to take him out at the city gates. All right, we have a picture of a city gate at the ninth, ninth century. All right, there's the lady standing next to it. All right, there's the gate. That is a gate. And what does he do? They, they seek to catch him at this place. And he rips up all the posts. He rips open the, the lock itself and the doors. Throws him on his back. And walks all the way to Hebron 40 miles. He carries them for 40 miles. That's like... I was going to say that's like Umberger two-day hike, that, or like <laughs> maybe a one-day hike. Uh, uh, all right, that's, that's to Wilmington, to Wilmington, and then all the way back. That's what he does. He picks them up like they're a couple flowers and sticks them on his back. All right, this is his great power. And the gates, the gates are the, that's the protection of the city. That's like, that is all of your faith is put in those gates that they might not tear them down or else you're, you're totally destroyed. And what does he do? He just picks them up and carries them off. All right, this is Samson's great strength. The blessing that has been given to him. Supernatural, overabundant blessing. To the extent that he is, he is invincible. He is untouchable. They can, they can do nothing to stop this man. And as we think about that, we think about the great blessings that Samson has to be this chosen one, this miracle child, this one who has been selected out and raised up by God. What, what a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor. And then we, we think, okay, He's a picture of Israel. We think of Israel's great blessing and power. That they would be the chosen people of all of the nations of the world. That they would have the only God that is real. And he'd enter into a covenant with them, to be with them and faithful to them, to give them this land. And we've seen how they've taken this land with like, with torches and jars and with trumpets. 
the ease by which they take the land, the great power that God has given them to just sweep through the Ark of the Covenant in their midst. And we see the power then that is given to the church, that we are this great kingdom, a people that has been gathered together, that we are the bride of Christ, that we have, we have power over the, the gates of hell and the domains of darkness, that we have the proclamation of the gospel, that we are untouchable eternally, that eternal life is ours and we have this kingdom by, give it, gifted to us by grace. We think about ourselves as individual believers that we are sons of the living God, that we are adopted, that we have a direct line to the eternal God, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that is in Samson, we are given every moment power over sin and death, power over, over lies and temptation and evil. This is the great blessing, the great blessing that is given to us. This is where the people who are connected to God really stand. And then we see, okay, what does, what does Samson do with all of that power? He hands it over. And we watch him go down this same trajectory. First, he wants to marry a Philistine. Then he's lying with them. And now he has given his very heart to a Philistine woman. After this, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. All right. Quite the warrior hero he is here now. He's settled down with the enemy. And... We just see, once again, the, the sin just starts to fester and grow and intensify. To, to align himself so closely with the enemy. And we know that that's Israel's story throughout Judges, that they have continually run after idols. And first they, first they allowed them, then they worshipped them with God, then they utterly replaced Yahweh with the gods of the nations sinking deeper and deeper into it. And now there's this, I know there's nothing more ridiculous or ironic maybe that anyone would try to make Samson and Delilah into this great love story. All right. It is not a great love story. There's nothing redeemable here. And we see exactly what it looks like. What kind of love is this? Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you each, we each will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. All right. This is the great love that he has with Delilah. It is a love that just seeks to use him. And for the equivalent of $22 million equivalent, uh, we're all shocked that she says yes. All right. She says yes, and she goes straight to work to betray him. And we wonder, well, if only, if only she, we had had some signs. If only, like, he, he had not been betrayed and deceived, then he wouldn't have been taken hold of by Delilah. And then we see what she does. All right. Verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, 
Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that, no one, uh, that one could subdue you. All right, not very subtle. <laughs> Can you imagine someone asking you this? Like, hey, what's your greatest weakness and how might I subdue you that we might kill you? Okay, red, red flag, red flag. All right, Samson said, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that, I have not yet, that have not been dried, then I shall be weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound, her, bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he snapped the bowstrings as, as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his great strength was not known. All right. He tells her his great weakness. He falls asleep in her house. The thing that is the great weakness that he just revealed happens to him. And out jump a bunch of soldiers to come kill him. All right, we should be putting two and two together now. This doesn't seem like this great love, this great woman who's trying to help him. But do any alarm bells go off? Well, verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound, said to her. If they bind me with new rope that has not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off of his arms like thread. All right. She does exactly the same thing again. All right. Fool me once. Shame on me. Or shame on you. Sorry. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Then verse 13, then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head, wove them into a web, and she made them tight with a pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and pulled off the pin and the loom and the web. He should put this together. And there's a point here. If it feels like you're beating your head against the wall, it's because you are. The author is. It's utter foolishness. Why on earth would he keep telling her again and again and again? Just by accident, his hair got woven into a string with a pin on it? Like, all right, but that, that is the point. The point is not that he didn't know. The point is that he doesn't care. He is totally blind. He is spiritually blind. He is spiritually deceived. He is spiritually weak. He is spiritually in chains. And that as good as he looks on the outside, just the, the heart is terrible. All right, what is this like? Uh, in college, I had to take really weird classes. Uh, I was a psychobiology major. Uh, and we had this whole class that was basically like why birds are horrible creatures to one another. <laughs> All right. And it was one, of the, one of the good ones was uh, the cuckoo bird. The cuckoo bird. All right. What the cuckoo bird does. All right. There's like an innocent little sparrow with three little eggs in its little nest. And what does the cuckoo bird do? Well, the cuckoo bird is, is massive. 
So it comes and it flies and plops the biggest egg the sparrow has ever seen into its nest. And what does the sparrow think? Like, hooray! I made the largest sparrow ever. I'm doing a great job. And then what happens? The, the cuckoo bird hatches along with other sparrows and it's like five times bigger. And so what does the, the mother sparrow do? Well, I'm going to neglect the three runts. I'm going to give all the food to the, the wonderful giant bird I have made. And gradually, the cuckoo bird gets bigger and bigger. And the little sparrows, they, they slowly start to wither until the cuckoo bird pushes each of them out of the nest and they fall to their death. As the mother sparrow constantly tries to feed this, this greedy, lazy cuckoo bird until it can't survive anymore. And then the cuckoo bird flies off and does it to another sparrow. All right. The, the sparrow, it, it, it thinks this is, this is a great blessing. Look at this great big egg. Look at all of this. And what is it doing? It is just constantly like feeding off of the rest of the nest. It is killing everything it encounters and leaving it just totally decimated. But the sparrow thinks, you know what, it's, it's great. I'm doing great. Look at my baby flourishing and thriving. All right, that's the picture we have here. Delilah is a dodo bird. She is this embodiment of, of sin and idolatry and death. And Samson thinks he has this great thing and he's totally blind. And it just starts killing and killing and killing him. And he can't do anything to stop it. All right, that is a picture of Israel's battle with idolatry. They know these nations can't offer anything. They know that the, their gods can't save them. And yet here they go again and again and again, trying to get this great blessing that's just going to curse them. That's what we do. As a body and individually, we run after the same idols, thinking that there's so much life there as they're just sucking the life out of us. Until finally, what does is, what is Samson do? He gives his heart. Verse 15. He said to him, or she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where the great strength lies. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. When Delilah said that he had, uh, saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in her hands. And she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We see the like 
toying with sin and idolatry. And then we see the, the giving of the heart. And as the heart is placed into Delilah's hand, what does she do? She, she devours it. And she destroys him. And she, she robs him of his great power. This last vestige of his Nazarite vow, his hair. And his strength is, is leaves him. His, his holiness and his, his set-apartness before God is, is stripped away. He traded the, the carrying of the gates for, for the love of this woman who hated him. We are presented with those same choices. We are presented with those same choices that we can run after our idols. And maybe we're just flirting with them, but we start to give them our heart. And they betray us. And they devour us. We think of things like uh, pride. And suddenly comparison and judgment, they start robbing us of joy and killing our relationships and enslaving us. We think of these, these vices and escapisms that we try to run after and realizing, you know, they're not going to help the situation at all. You're going to be twice as worse as when you, before. And yet what we, we run and we run and we run or the comforts and luxuries that we think are so great, they end up robbing us of kingly kingly treasures and real riches. They kind of lull us to sleep and then smother us in, our, in our, that same sleep. All right. This is the struggle with idolatry. Are you acting the fool like Samson? Are you running again and again and again knowing that it's just death that's waiting for you? That it's just brokenness and sorrow and betrayal. Because it is. That's all that there is there. And so, what happens? He, he gives her his heart and all of the blessings that came with this connection to God, this being set apart before him, they're stripped away. Verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. When their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Now what does Samson lose here? It starts with his eyes, which were important as we talked about the story. Where does he, he did what was right in his own eyes. He saw what he wanted, and he would go get it. And he had the power for no one to stop him, And now here he is, blind. 
You see him led by a little boy. That's what he's been reduced to. We see the invincible one who's carrying gates and destroying people and just effortlessly destroying thousands. And here he is in bronze shackles being led to that very same city where he plucked up the gates and tossed them aside. No, he's led. And instead of being the great savior and the victor, what is he? He is now the slave, grinding at a mill, pushing the rock around and around and around. The, the donkeys work. He is, he is stripped of all of his blessing, all of the glory that he had. He's now mocked and ridiculed, entertaining the enemy. Now, that's, that's the trading of the great blessings of God for the, the wages of idolatry and sin. And we think of Israel. Israel does the same thing. That they, they continually give themselves over to idolatry. And what happens? They, they start to lose. The battles are no longer won. And their kings start to become more and more corrupt until this great land that has been given to them by the power of God is utterly stripped from them. And the power that they thought they had, that their God, their God was the one God, he turns his back on them. He actually actively pours out judgment upon them. All of these blessings just start to crumble down before them. We see the same thing happen in, in the church collectively. That we have great blessings as the church, but if, if we run after idols of, of politics or relevance to society, we start to lose some of the blessings. We start to lose the, the freedom of being in our own kingdom. We start to lose our witness. That we wouldn't have anything different to offer. We are exactly as the world is. Or the, the great message has morphed into another message that is not the powerful gospel that we proclaim. It's, it's blind and it's powerless. Or maybe we as individuals then, as we give ourselves over to idolatry, the, the blessings and joys of the gospel start to be stripped away. That our affections start to be torn and we see this person who gives themselves to fear of man and to, to what people think. They, they can manage that for a while and, until they become utterly enslaved by it. And now they're like constantly worried about where they stand. They're accommodating things that shouldn't be accommodated. They're terrified of what people think. And, you know, this is you get bogged down by it. Or we think of giving ourselves over to, to wealth and comfort and it starts to, to strip us of the, the joys of the kingdom and the inheritance that is to come. And suddenly our, our lives get very focused and what do I want next? What do I need next? What can I buy next? And the, the joy and freedom of the gospel is stripped away. 
Now, we shouldn't be surprised by that. And that is actually the great, the, the start of the grace of God. That he would start to, to remove the, the joy and the delight of the gospel as we give ourselves the other things. We think of Jesus saying, Luke 6, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Just the, the spiritual brokenness starts to pour out. Are you, are you losing the joy of the gospel? Are you seeing the blessings being stripped away as you pursue idolatry? This is the great warning that Samson offers us. Are you going to trade all of the glorious graces that are given to you in Jesus Christ for death, for a false love, for betrayers who just want to swallow you whole? That is the bleak reality of our struggle with sin. And then we have this great and glorious God who responds in all of his faithfulness. That there is great hope even in spite of all of this. Verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. All right. This is, this is pouring out grace. Now, I, I've struggled with this because uh, his hair shouldn't be magic. But the passage, like, in the passage, it is. All right? His strength flows from his hair, and that's okay. That's just, that's one of those things, like, I don't get why that's how it works. What should it, what should it be? It should be that, you know, you made a vow, and if you break the vow, it's done. And there's no going back. And the second he cut his hair, he should be weak and abandoned by the Lord forever. Instead, that's not the, the vow that we see. It's not this black and white, you break it, you, you bought it, you lost it. No, instead it's just like, no, I will, I will be with you and I will continue to be with you. And I will wait for your hair to grow back. And as your hair grows, I will, I will remain faithful to you, I will be with you. And it becomes not this great judgment and terror. It becomes this, this act of discipline that, that humbles him for a time. As he waits for his hair to grow back, as he restores relationship, as he sees his great blindness, as he experiences his weakness before God, there's great grace there. It's a better covenant covenant of grace in a sense until verse 26 and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand let me feel the pillars on which the house rests so that I may lean against them now the house was full of men and women all the lords of the Philistines were there on the roof there were 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained then Samson called to the Lord and said O Lord God please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may avenge, be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. 
And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against him, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the peoples who were in it. So the dead he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtelon in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. This is Samson's story. That at the end of everything, after he had lived this life of utter idolatry, it started well. Utter idolatry and rebellion, humiliation and shame, after he squanders all of his blessings, after all of that, he calls out to a God who is powerful and who is sovereign and who is full of grace. And what does he find? He finds a merciful and faithful God who had a plan from the very beginning. Who was working to orchestrate even the rebellion and the sin and the idolatry for this great glorious salvation that would point forward to the victory of Jesus Christ. That is what this was for. And as much as we want to just like shake our heads and, and wag our fingers at Samson and no, God doesn't do that. He, he places his servant right where he needs to be in all of his brokenness and uses the blind and broken and humiliated Samson to bring about exactly the salvation that he was called to, called to bring about in his, in his birth. That he'd begin the victory over the Philistines. And remarkably, of all the people to look like, who does he look like on this day? He looks like Jesus. He's standing between two pillars, his arms stretched out, saying, I will die for the salvation of my people. I will die to bring down the enemy to have victory. He was born and he looked like Jesus. But his whole life he gave over to temptations that Jesus never gave into. He was disciplined in ways that Jesus never had to. That Jesus suffered not because he was idolatrous and foolish, but because he, he loved us and gave his life for us and, and suffered on our behalf and was mocked and ashamed for us in our place. Samson's life should look nothing like Jesus. And yet here in his death, it looks exactly the same. To die. To willingly die for his people. As Jesus died to take on sin and death and Satan and the, the spiritual forces of darkness. And to restore his people. Now, why do, what do we say about that? There is room for great redemption. There is room for great redemption. And that if you are the person who like, identifies with Samson in his sin, in his idolatry, in his constant foolishness, 
then also identify with Samson in his great restoration and in the full story that he was used for, for God's purposes. He was used as a salvation picture. He was used to, to show Jesus Christ in the midst of utter darkness. Not just in spite of what, who he was, but because of who he was. And through all of his sin. All right, that is our great God. That is the great God of mercy and grace. That is a great God who is sovereign in all of his purposes. And wherever you are in the story, maybe it's that you are seeing yourself slowly like go down a path of idolatry and say, like, run, flee. That's your, that's your application from Samson. Or maybe you've, you've given your heart. And it's like, fight, fight for your heart. Fight for your heart to love Christ and to, to love the kingdom. Or maybe, maybe you're seeing your, your blessings stripped away, the joy of the gospel falling from you. See it as the great discipline of God and, and repent and be restored. Or maybe you just feel too far gone and you need to wait for God to, and fight for God to use you as a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ in as ironic and as crazy a way as we could ever imagine. That is our, that is our Savior. That is our God. That is possible through Jesus Christ. That he has great grace for sinners. That he, he died for such people as this who are saved by faith. What does Samson become? He becomes a picture of someone who had faith. Not as a picture of someone who is horrible and ought to be rejected, but as someone who just trusted in God's salvation and found great grace and mercy because it is by faith we are saved, not by works. What, what a beautiful gift that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for a story like this. We praise you as the God who can use even brokenness and sin. And Father, we are thankful because we are broken sinners. We are broken cisterns and we are... Uh, we are great in our, our weakness and our temptation. and Father, it feels strange because it feels like giving permission to sin or it feels like, well, you'll just use everything. And Father, would you help us to receive these rightly that we would run to you, the one who loves us and longs to, to give us the kingdom to his little children and would destroy the idols that stand before us and would push the cuckoo bird's egg out of the nest and would refuse to feed it any longer. But, Father, we also recognize that this is the gospel, that you are gracious to sinners like us. And we praise you and thank you for that. 
would you help us to praise you rightly and to joyfully proclaim that message in all of its power and glory and wonder we pray in Christ's name.